Well, today we, we finish this, uh, this class, Background to the New Testament, as if you could ever finish it, but uh, um, we, we're going to end. Uh, Pastor Claremont will be in here uh, next Sunday. I'll be teaching the youth. So today's your last shot for me, for me to show my ignorance. So uh, um, I want to um, answer a couple questions or, or a couple thoughts overall. Um, but any, any questions or comments? I, I gave you the assignment of reading First Peter. Um, read it like a, a book, and uh, and read all all the chapters of First Peter. Excellent book. Um, any questions in general, though? New Testament questions. Background to the New Testament. Okay. I it is my my prayer, my hope that this is um, quite helpful. We live as, as Christ's people. We just sang this hymn, Jerusalem the Golden. Um, the reason we, I chose this hymn, and by the way, it's going to kind of fun. What hymn shall I choose to, to sing? I, um, you know, at the beginning of the lesson, there's so many good hymns that we have in our hymn. No, but, but the scriptures end with the hope of the new heavens, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. And, uh, and, and the, also the book of, um, um, the book of Hebrews is prominent, that, that, that coming Jerusalem. And, and so I thought it would be appropriate to use, use that hymn. Um, the object is, is that, that we walk as Christ's people, that his words would be, be flowing in our heads. Now this does not, I, I would, I, obviously I've said it over and over again, not limit ourselves to the New Testament words. Read all of the word of scripture, that the word of Christ dwell in you richly, uh, Colossians chapter 3. You know, so, so that you would be the people of God, be filled with the word of, of God. Um, and, and it's very important, we talked about Pauline epistles last week, to understand, you know, doctrine, what we say doctrine is, is kind of a funny thing, um, but we say doctrine, you know, in terms of, you know, we believe in Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe in, in um, the two natures of Christ. But this is always drawn directly from the word. And so it is very beneficial that we know the actual word from which we, we, we confess this, that we actually know the word, and, and then, then it's really quite interesting how, how some of these things are, are drawn from, from sections um, that would seem like far away from this, this particular point of, 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 of Christian doctrine. For example, some of the most wonderful baptismal passages um, occur, for example, uh, one wonderful one is within the um, uh, marriage of Ephesians chapter 5, 22 to 33. Um, or, or the, the, the question of cheap grace in, in Romans 6, you know, beginning at, at, at verse 1. And so, so our doctrine is drawn from the Word. And so let the Word of Christ dwell on you richly. And I, I pray that, that you will be faithful in reading, uh, marking, learning, and intimately digesting this New Testament the rest of your lives. Okay, um, having said that, any more questions before I go into what we call the Catholic epistles? Okay. Any questions, comments? Okay, so, um, so after the Pauline epistles, and we typically, we would end them at, at Philemon, okay? Um, obviously, in the early church, there's some, there's some, some thought that Paul wrote them. Um, we, we talk about the Catholic epistles, and some people use the term general epistles. Now, now as you know, we don't have any problem saying the word Catholic. Can you say that word? Catholic, okay, okay. The Catholic, 
Yes, no, no, exactly, exactly. See, see there's, there's the issue right, right there. Um, Catholic just means universal. So these are um, universal epistles, Catholic epistles, and, and, and of course, we um, no problem with the word Catholic. It's just what, what has happened uh, with the Bishop of Rome and the usurping of, a, of, a, of authority that is not his. That's the, that's the, that's the issue. Um, as well as some of the uh, things that have been, been added to scriptural doctrine within the Roman Catholic Church. Okay, so we're just going to kind of briefly go through these, these, um, these last epistles, talk about the book of Revelation, and then we'll just have some general thoughts about the, the, the New Testament, about scripture in general. Okay. Yes, go ahead. Go ahead, James. Super quick question. Yes. Yes. Uh, that's, so the question would be, why in the in the in the in the creed have we all have we changed the word from Catholic to Christian? Um, my my simple answer is, is is we we didn't change it. However, we never went back to. If you go back to the oldest oldest version of the creed, they would be Catholic would be there. But to say the Holy Christian Church would have been common in saying the creed. So Luther did not alter just to, to take the word Catholic out. Okay. However, um, I have to be very honest that, that I mean, if we had the, the word Catholic, it's fine, but, but it, okay, and I can see, the, see it in German even. So it's a, you, you know, he, he was not uh, an originator. If you know Luther himself, he's not an originator. And so he, he um, and I don't know past that. Um, anyone else? I, I, don't, I don't. Dr. Doss, you, any, any, I, I, you know, I, I just know in the history of, of, of the creeds that, that he did not, you know, intentionally do that um, at that at that time. But and then some some other Lutheran bodies do use the word Catholic in in the Apostles' Creed. I have no problem saying saying, saying that in the in the in the creeds. So uh, Apostles or the Nicene Creed. So. So, but, but the hymnal has it the way it is. And, and, and I think one thing, if we remember Luther's catechetical principles, you should stay with a standard language. For example, the Apostles' Creed, the, um, the Lord's Prayer, Nicene Creed, um, and also the words of the Catechism. For example, um, we, we have a new translation of the Catechism, uh, came out with 1981 or so. It's different than the translation of the Catechism that I was raised in. Um, for example, um, um, uh, in, under the Eighth Commandment, the, the Catechism now says, explain everything in the kindest way. Does anyone remember what he said before? It's put the best construction on everything. Does anyone remember put the best construction on everything? So, so but we've not um, altered that words now for, for some 40 years, even though we are, you know, like in the back of the explanation of catechism, we now use the ESV passages, et cetera, like this. But we've not gone back, for example, in the catechism under baptism and, you know, and change Matthew 28 from the NIV to the ESV. So, okay, we try to keep Luther, Luther's admonitions, keep the word standard as much as possible, okay? And so we're probably not going to be changing the hymnal in the Catholic. Good, great question, James. Great question. Okay. Um, any other questions, comments? Okay, so we, so this marvelous book of, of Hebrews, I use, a, I use a sense book only because it's written down, it's considered one of the books of the Bible. It's actually a, a sermon. And there's um, um, a, a friend of mine who wrote his uh, um, dissertation on the, um, the, on the sermonic nature of, nature of it. And uh, 
and he would have maintained, I, I don't know if I completely agree with him, that, um, that, that, that the text of the sermon is actually Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, um, and following kind of a, a Jewish sermonic style at the time. But we do know that, um, that, that, that Hebrews, or it appears that, it, that it's, a, it's an oral, it's oral. It doesn't start. There's no greeting, stuff like this. It, it, so it's basically a sermon that is written, written down. The author's unknown. Uh, guesses include Barnabas, Apollos, Paul, Luke, or others. And there's, um, and you have to look in, you know, um, there's various sources for, for that. Um, it's a sermon that uh, encouraged Jewish Christians to remain strong in the faith in Christ, who's fulfilled all the Old Testament promises by God. Um, Hebrews is characterized by a very strong Christology. Jesus, is the, Jesus, the Son of God, is the exalted high priest who has made the once and all, for all sacrifice for sins and exalted over all, and he will always remain as our great exalted high priest. Little note for you, um, perhaps I said it, is when you say the word Jesus, you are confessing the incarnate Lord. Um, so, so the re reason I say this is, is that is that the, you see Jesus being given to him. Mary and Joseph, if you look in Matthew chapter 1 and, and, and Luke chapter 1, are told to name him Jesus. And when is he actually named Jesus? When he's actually named Jesus, we know that. At his circumcision, Luke 2, verse 21, according to uh, uh, God's, God's command and God's promise to, to, to Abraham to, um, that he be circumcised the eighth day. So Jesus was named given the name Jesus on the eighth, eighth day. And so the reason I say this, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, is not an ontological statement, basically, you know, as God, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but rather a soteriological, in other words, a salvation and Christological statement. He is always the one who has made the once and for all sacrifice for his sins. He is always the one who's ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is always the one that's preparing for you a place to, to be with him. So Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. A wonderful and comforting verse for, for all of you. Okay, so um, I, I, um, I, I'm firmly convinced that Hebrews is a, is a sermon as you're about to receive the blood that speaks better than the blood of Abel. In other words, receive the Lord's Supper. Um, by the way, in thinking about the divine service, it was the pattern in the early church throughout much of the history of the church. Relatively modern times before you would disconnect the, the main service on Sunday from the Lord's Supper. I know in the history of the Missouri Synod, uh, we're just now getting back to every Sunday communion. In fact, in, even in this congregation, how many were raised in Missouri Synod church where you had once a quarter communion? Anyone? Once a month. Yeah, that was, that, was, that was quite common, whether you like it or not, right? And so, uh, um, but if you look at Augsburg 24, one of our contentions as Lutherans is that we observe the Mass, we, we receive the Lord's Supper better than, than our opponents do. Okay, and so, 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 so we cherish it. So if you go back both, especially read Augsburg 24, and then also especially the Apology 24, you see the, the prominence. And so in the early church, to receive the Lord's Supper as well as hear his word, yeah, okay, that's just the way it, way it is. Okay, uh, just a kind of a, you know, if you want to know the faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, 
very interesting chapter. I'm not going to go into the kind of going character by character in, in there, as well as, uh, uh, okay, there's a, I'm just going to shut my mouth because I, I've got, there's a couple of translation issues in the, uh, with Hebrews chapter 11. Okay, so, uh, so Jesus, if you look at the book of Hebrews, both the fulfiller of the Old Testament, but also greater. Jesus is not only the fulfiller, but he's greater. So he fills all these what we so-called Old Testament heroes and also Old Testament institutions. And so his priesthood is greater than the high priest because it's priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. He's greater than Moses, greater than, than, than Joshua. And so his sacrifice is a greater sacrifice because it's a once and for all sacrifice for sins. So it's a marvelous, marvelous book. And that's a, um, the women are invited. We're doing the book of Hebrews right now in Ladies' Lifelight. James. Uh, obviously, Luther um, called this an epistle of straw. I would commend to you... Um, um, Dr. Giese just did a, a series on, on, on issues, etc., talking about the book of James, and, and, and in actuality, viewing it from a Christ-centered perspective, um, that God is the, um, um, do not be deceived, my beloved. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creation. In other words, at the center of James' theology is the presupposition that we're saved by grace alone through, through faith alone. And then you view the book of James much as, a, say, a, a lieutenant, you know, barking out orders under, in, in combat. Okay, so to look at James as, as, a, as a doctrinal book, you know, from which we're going to write a systematic theology is a, is a misuse of the book of James. So rather a very practical book to, to Christians in stress, not only from the exterior world, but also from their own uh, sinful self. And so you have, for example, this uh, uh, wonderful section about how destructive the tongue can be. Uh, in James chapter, uh, um, was it James 3, I think? And then, um, and then, and then to see the, the, the text about faith without works. Well, that's more like a duh. I mean, of course faith has, has works. You know, I mean, I love my baby. I change the diapers, right? You know, I mean, this is, this is just, it's nonsensical to separate faith from works. Um, and then uh, I, think, I think James, you know, is very much influenced being the, uh, per, um, now we do not have in scripture that James himself was present at the Sermon on the Mount, but certainly being the half-brother of our Lord, um, he would have known the content of the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain. And so very much, if you compare the, the theology of the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain, the book of James, is, that's quite helpful. First Peter. I told you to read this past week. And anyone, what'd you, what'd you get out of First Peter? I think, yes, go ahead. Very good, very good. Anything else? Keith there? Okay. Um, yeah, so I think it's a, um, 
it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a helpful book, especially, um, I think, for us Americans, we have this tremendous, I think all, the old Adam is always wanting to tend towards a theology of glory, right? So you read 1 Peter chapter 4 about suffering for the faith especially. It, it's go throughout the book of 1 Peter, but I think it's a quite helpful chapter um, for, for us and, and, to, and, and to approach. So we don't know the truest extent of persecution. Now, there, there can be very not-so-subtle forms of persecution in terms of, uh, of, of not getting a job or being ostracized at your job or being pushed out. Um, you know, uh, college students or high school students, if they're Christians, can feel like they're, they're very much a stranger and alien. It's very, very difficult at times for them. And, and so there, there, there are forms of, of, of persecution in this country, but, but compared to what, what the saints are, are experiencing, say, for example, in, in, um, in the border of the Sahara Desert and, and, uh, and tropical and, uh, and, and savannah Africa right now is this absolute pressure. Um, you know, down in the, um, towards Indonesia and those, in the Indian subcontinent, there's tremendous, tremendous persecution of Christians. It's physical and, and, and horrible. And again, I commend to you um, um, this journal Touchstone, and, and every issue Touchstone has one page about the suffering church. And so I've been reading this for over 20 years now. And, and very much aware of, of the suffering of God's people. I think, Keith, your, your point about baptism is, is hugely important right here. Um, and there, there have been, uh, um, and I don't know, Do, Dr. Doss, who wrote that the commentary basically saw bat, First Peter as a baptismal homily? Do you remember who? I, I can't remember it, but I mean, but, but seeing, seeing baptism as, as, but baptism is central, and, and, the, and the use of baptismal language in First Peter is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a huge, huge, um, a, a important point. And, and then, of course, you have this wonderful passage about baptism now saves you. And, and in the Greek, it's even more contrast because, because they put, it's, okay, in First Peter chapter 3, verse 20 now, um, it's bapt, not the removal of dirt, but uh, it's a, um, and, and this is a type, and, uh, and, um, but now baptism saves, okay? Not the putting away the removal of, of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience, giving an answer to God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God. Okay, and so, and so um, baptism becomes our appeal, you know, our, our answer is, is, is our baptism because it saves. Also, First uh, Peter chapter three, I would I would commend verse fifteen that we should always be ready to give an apologia, apology, a formal defense for the faith. And so, I think this is important to understand that 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 Christians need to know the word and then be able to, from the word, give a reasoned answer of the hope that is in us. And not just say, oh yes, I believe, believe in Jesus, but, but we need to be able to give a reason sustained answer. Okay, um, Second Peter uh, um, is, is a, a second epistle, uh, has that holy men spake as they're moved by the Holy Spirit, Second Peter one twenty one. We have this quote in the end of Second Peter chapter three, basically, you know, affirming Paul's word as scripture. Um, Beware of false teachers is, is a prominent theme. And then uh, the last chapter, Christ is re returning on his own timetable. One day is, is, is a thousand years and a, day, and a thousand years is a day. And so he's not slack. In other words, when are you coming back, Jesus? Why don't you come back now? Well, he'll come back when he comes, right? And, and, and again, 
Um, just thinking, it's rather perilous times. I mean, maybe you've read some, uh, some of the articles about uh, you know, some of the consequences. Uh, uh, the long-term consequences of this war in, in Ukraine are going to be tremendous. You know, the geopolitical world will be much different the rest of our lives because of this. You know, that's just the way it is. I mean, I mean um, however, um, in terms of our own, own situation, most people of most time, because they didn't have modern communications, did not know that once the winter broke and spring came and the mud cleared, whether or not a foreign army might be invading their territory. They never knew whether or not their town would be, be, be pillaged or destroyed. You know, I mean, you, you, you have all these things. You, you just did not know what the future held, much less the plague and other diseases, much less the very fact that, that you had all these childhood diseases. Um, if, your, if your wife was pregnant, would she survive childbirth? Um, and, and any sort of accident when you're farming, would you get gangrene? So in other words, life is perilous. And so our life is always in the hands of the Lord. And so I, I think these epistles are, are quite helpful. The Lord's going to come back. Don't worry. He's, got to, he, he's going to be with you. Okay, so that's quite helpful. Okay, uh, questions or comments about First or Second Peter? Um, I, yes, go ahead, Dwight. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And it's very important, of course, right there. That section is where where we derived you know, the descent into hell in the Apostles' Creed, which is not to be seen as, as Jesus goes to be punished. If you just think about Luke chapter 23, when Jesus dies, today you'll be with me in paradise. I love that word paradise because it doesn't confuse people as much. Um, so you'll, use, you'll be, be with paradise, so it does not go to hell. The descent of hell is part of his triumph. Which, and, and the, but I think it's the contrast there in Greek is, you know, being be, in crucified flesh, but raised by the Spirit, or, or he has he wants to preach his spirits in prison. Then, and so I think that's uh, that, that's quite quite helpful. But but the once for all, I think the once for all sacrifice of Christ. And this is so important and helps you understand that the nature of the faith would have been as those believing in the promise of God. We bring sacrifices to the Lord, and there is grain. Uh, turtle doves, lambs, or, or, or even a, a bull. That was the nature of the, of, the, of the faith in the Old Testament. Why don't you bring a lamb to me, to, or, or a bull, or a, or a turtle dove, for me to slit its throat? It's because the once for all sacrifice for, of Christ and his blood has, has redeemed you. Okay, so the hope is, is always the same, but, but now we are proclaiming this once and for all sacrifice and him who is exalted at the right hand of the Father. Uh, first, second, third, John. Um, you know, you read, if you read first John alongside the gospel, John, you say, whoa, um, very close in theology, very close in theology. And of course, you have the great, I, I, I call this the great love chapter. Notice last week I didn't say 1 Corinthians 13 is the, the great love chapter. It's, a, it's certainly a love chapter, but I think you have to put 1 Corinthians chapter 13 within the context of, of 12, 13, and 14. 
Does that make sense in, in the book of Corinthians? You, you can't just isolate 13 and now have a couple flower petals and have a nice, uh, nice little wedding and now we're going to go, um, you know, have the cutting of the cake. And so first thir chapter 13 is within the context of 12, 13, and 14. Um, and, and, but first John chapter 4 points to, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation for our sins. Okay, and so, and so more directly locates love in, in Christ and love one another. And, and this is obviously talking about the body of Christ. This is also something important to understand about 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's primarily talking about love within the, the body of Christ, which is derived from the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. Okay, um, there's this word antichrist, which is opposes Christ in the flesh. And, and there's, um, and, and you see this also in 2 John, um, walk in truth, and then uh, 3 John, um, supporting faithful preachers, um, and then imitating good, not evil, very short epistles, both of them. Um, Jude, Jude is this um, the half-brother of our Lord, James and Jude being half-brothers of our, of our Lord. Uh, we have this unusual passage right here about uh, Michael and Satan fighting for the body of, of Moses. The, 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 um, it's an apocryphal writing called the Assumption of Moses. It's where that's taken from. I put here Jude 24 and 25. I just love this passage. And, and it was, uh, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Wonderful passage. Um, and, and in the Missouri Senate, we have seen this passage a lot because... Um, our, uh, many years ago, a sainted President Barry, would, as all his correspondence, would end with Jude 24 and 25. So, um, Okay, now we come to the book of Revelation. And if you expect me to understand the book of Revelation, no, no. It's a difficult book. Apocalyptic language is difficult. And, and, and on top of it is that you have many... Uh, interpreters, this is not modern, it's been a problem throughout the history of the church, who try to correspond events in the book of Revelation in terms of, of just a chronological approach and, and saying, this is our time. This is our time. They've got it figured out. And actually, if you want to make a lot of money, you can do this, right? You know, I, um, one of the projects I did was, did a, uh, what is it, was it, what is that seminary, I, said, do a, I did a reading project of, of reading um, um, those who are um, pre-millennial dispensationalists and how they interpret certain aspects of, of, of prophecy uh, throughout the decades of the 1900s. And so, you know, the same passages would have been interpreted very differently during, depending on what world events were at the time. Because obviously Mussolini was the Antichrist, right? Oh, no, Hitler was. No, no, Stalin was, you know. Oh, Saddam Hussein was, you know. So, so you could just go on and on and on. And by the way, um, if you're not familiar with predispensational millennialism, good. Um, but basically, it's, a, it's that where you see, you know, the bumper sticker, in case of rapture, this car will be empty. I mean, I, you know, no. Um, where's this found? Where's this found? It's not found in, 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 in Scripture, but that's a, okay, rabbit hole. I'm not going to, I started it, I'm sorry. So um, the book of Revelation, though, is a marvelous, marvelous book. Um, and that's a good question. Um, most people throughout the, the centuries, and, and I think most 
most commentators believe it's written in the 90s. Um, and so it'd be kind of closing. So, 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 so it is kind of a close of, of scripture. Now, now of course, um, famously, there's a, um, J.T. Robinson wrote a book redating the New Testament, and he dates it into the 60s. And, uh, and so you push basically very early dating of all the New Testament. But, but we don't want to push. When you push the dating of the New Testament so that you go later and later, you're basically saying we don't believe that the Bible could be inspired by the Holy Spirit when you push it too far out because then you end up with, with, with next generation speakers. But, but the traditional belief is that John, towards the end of his life, exiled Isle of Patmos, receives this vision, and, and it, probably during the Roman persecutions in the 90s is when it occurs. Um, so Jesus, though, reveals himself to John in glory as, as this great ascendant one. And you read the description of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, you see why John fell down as dead. Okay? But then Jesus gives him this word. It's a word to seven churches in Asia Minor. Now, now Asia Minor was particularly fierce in terms of persecuting Christians. So, so to the church who was suffering, the church militant and church suffering, our Lord reveals his word to John to give to these churches. And by the way, Patmos would be off the coast of, of Asia Minor. Okay, so the book of Revelation, um, and, and having said that, it's very important to understand that this book, this revelation of Christ to John, is given to these seven churches. So what happens in some modern interpreters especially those who want to fix the dates of history, is they're ripping Revelation 3 from Revelation 4 and following. And, uh, the proper view of Revelation is to see that these are letters to the churches. It's applicable to them now, the hope of Jesus Christ. He's in control of history. And, and we see the end in terms of cycles, not a linear progression of the book of Revelation, and that the Lord is in charge of his church. He's in charge of history. He will judge the wicked. Don't worry. And he's got good promise for you. That was true to those suffering in Revelations 2 and 3. It's also true to us, and to, as well as to our brothers and sisters. Uh, say, for example, in Kenya right now, Ivory Coast, um, you know, um, these um, Christians who happen to be in, in, in Indonesia, Malaysia, um, uh, uh, Sri Lanka, and in other areas where, where they're suffering so, so much at, at the current time. Um, so we want to do honor the book of Revelation. See, God is in control of, of all of history. Okay, and apocalyptic l language is very hard to understand. Um, the Lady's Life, I would just finish the, the, um, the end of the Minor Prophets. And for example, the book of Zechariah is difficult. The book of Daniel is difficult because apocalyptic language is, is to an extent, is meant to obscure, but also to give hope at the same time. Okay. Um, I think it's tremendously helpful uh, when approaching the book of Revelation to go to chapter 12. So let's just go to chapter 12 right, right, right now, where you have, um, and a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with sun and moon under her feet, and her head crowned with 12 stars. She was pregnant, was crying out in birth pains, and the, ag and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. His head seven diatoms. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven, cast them down to the earth. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that she bore her child. He might devour her. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. 
but, his but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she is a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. And that number roughly corresponds to three and a half years, which is half of the perfect, perfect number. This woman is the church. Now, traditionally, Roman Catholic theology, this woman is specifically Mary, right? You know, that's a, a, but, but it's the church. And so, um, of Old Testament and New Testament, and so, and, sh and from, from God's people, God's people, the child comes, and then he ascends to the right hand of the Father. This is a shorthand. Revelation is not denying the death and the ministry of, and the resurrection of Christ. It's kind of shorthand. And then the church, of which we are now part of, is in the wilderness. And this world is indeed a, a, a wilderness, um, especially for all of us. Sometimes, you, do you ever look out into things in culture and think, what world am I living in? You know, this is, this is craziness, what we, what we see in the outside world. Um, and we would never have imagined um, you know, some of the things that, that, that go on in the outside world, but then it can get worse. Um, so it's a wilderness. But then again, it always has been. But our Lord will nourish his church for 1,260 days, 1,260 days. And does this with his word and his sacrament. So I think it's this, this, this little section right here and then the rest of the chapter is, is quite a helpful. Uh, uh, and it's right there in the middle of Revelation. So I think the, the, the placement of it is, is also quite, quite helpful. And, and, and how many cycles you've gone through, et cetera, like this is it's quite helpful. Um, at the end of the book of Revelation, we have these... Uh, is a marvelous picture of the new heavens and new earth, the new Jerusalem. It's all glorious. Um, and then, and especially Revelation chapter 22, last chapter of Scripture, uh, you have the tree of life. Kind of brings us full circle. For that which was forbidden anywhere to eat of in the garden, guarded by the cherubim with the flaming sword, now we'll be able to eat 12 months a year, eat his fruit all 12 months of the year on both sides of the river. And so this brings a full circle, so, so restore creation, so God who is good, and the creation is good, told my old in, 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 in Genesis chapter 1, it's very good. It's going to be absolutely restored, and, and it's for you and me. And, and above all, we see that, for example, though, um, um, for example, in... Uh, um, and Revelation 21, verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, but the former things have passed away. Um, and then the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Um, he who testifies through these things says, Sure, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And that's how the New Testament ends. So, okay. I've allowed a couple minutes, got eight minutes to... Go ahead, Dave. Yes. Yeah. 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 It. 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 It should not surprise us. And, we're very, yeah, it should not surprise us, but yet we're easily surprised because it's easy to fall into a certain complacency about that outside world. And we've seen these, these cycles, you know, um, I, could, I could just go, you know, if you just trace the history of the 20th century to now, you have various cycles of, of seeing the absolute horror of a world that has original sin, 
you know, you got World War I, but then you have the, the League of Nations, and we're going to have the, uh, in Germany, the Weimar Republic, but we're going to, that's a whole other question, you know, how, how, how that was set up, whether or not it was set up to fail, and, you know, so, so, so everything got the roaring 20s, but then you have the Great Depression and everything, the World War II, then you build this thing called the, United, the, the United Nations, right? United Nations, how united are the United Nations? You know, it doesn't work that way, does it? And so you, you have this, but then you have the Korean War, you have the, the Cold War, and then you have Vietnam, but then you're coming out of that, then you have the, you know, heightened tensions of various things in the Cold War, but then you have the fall of the Soviet Union, the fall of the Berlin Wall, and this optimism in the 90s, and, the, and then uh, it, it comes crashing, though, because we have problems with, with, with terrorism, especially 9 one So you could just go on and on and on. Things get better, but then the, 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 the world crashes. And, and the nature, but not, not to mention what's happened in, in the social structure, the, the loss of the family, um, remark that, that, uh, that you know, you, you go, uh, for example, small town America used to be this bastion of, of, uh, of, of values, you know, where everyone knew each other, everyone you had so many church going, stuff like this. But now, now there's so many of the social problems of small town America, I mean, rural America with the, um, the you know, there's, there's uh, meth use and, and drug abuse and uh, uh, the breakup of the family in small town America is, is, is rampant. Um, and so there, there, there is really no retreat area in the culture. But this is all, the way it is. It's always a wilderness because we are the church of Jesus Christ. None, none should surprise us. I, I was reading that, you know, this week, I, um, you know, last Wednesday preached on the first article, the second article of the creed, the first part, the two natures of Christ. Next week, I'll preach on Wednesday on the, on, the, on, the, on the work of Jesus Christ, who's redeemed me, lost, and condemned person, right? Um, this week is the Annunciation. We talk about especially the, the two natures of Christ. So it's rereading an, an, an essay about the, about the Council of Chalcedon. Council of Chalcedon, basically what we believe about Jesus Christ. So the Council of Chalcedon, 451 A.D., what else is happening in 451 A.D.? It's called the Huns, the Vandals, the Goths. You've already had Rome sacked once in 410 by Alaric. In other words, the world was absolutely collapsing. And what do these Christians have better to do than talking about Jesus, true God, and true man? Can't they do something constructive and talk about Jesus, true God, and true man? <laughs> Come on. You know, what's lasted? The Roman Empire is gone. Is, is the Christian faith that we confess Jesus Christ, true God, and true man still there? Yes, yes, essentially our faith is a Chalcedonian Christology. Okay, that's not a New Testament question. Uh, New Testament questions. Uh, Ed, Ed, did I answer all your questions about you said, a few weeks ago? Okay, good. Yeah, Josh, go ahead. Um, back to Jude and James. Yeah. Well, we refer to them because... Uh, um, yes. Yeah, well, that, that's a great question. That's a great question. Um, that's a great question. Um, first of all, I think the simple words of Scripture in the Gospels, you, Jesus, your brothers, and your mother are, out, are, are outside. And Jesus says, you know, that is my brother and my, and my mother who hears the word of God and keeps it. And, I, and, I, and so uh, the simple reading would be and, um, that, that brother actually means brother. Some have attempted to, to say that it's cousin and I prefer the simple read, and James is called the, the, the brother of our Lord as well as, as, well as Jude. Um, and so I think that's a simple, the simple reading. reading. 
I don't see in those passages, for example, in, 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 in Luke chapter 1, the, the word for relation to Mary, Elizabeth being a cousin of Mary, that same Greek word is not used in these contexts. The word is actually brother and, and, and sister right, right there. So that's probably the simplest way of doing it. Uh, Dr. Doss, do you have any more to speak on that? Right, right, right. So, right, so. I, because they would have been regarded. The, the outside people did not know that Jesus was not, was not the full brother. It's just the, 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 the terminology was always, this is your family, you know, and this is the son of Joseph, right? You know, so it's just always assumed to be the son of Joseph, the son of Mary, and these are his brothers and sisters. So it, it's just a simple vocabulary, I think. Um, but that's a, it's, a, it's a great question, and, and I know there, there are other people that would disagree with me on, in that statement, but I, I think I, I tend to try to read things as simply as possible, uh, unless I have reason not to do it that way. Yeah, Dave, of course. Half brother, yeah, yeah, not the same biological father. And so, and, and, and I think one, one reason that I, I would regard James as, as the biological half brother of, of, of Jesus is the affirmation of Mary and Joseph and their marriage and, and, and that there would be, it seemed to be quite natural that they would have other children that God would bless them with more, more children. That would seem to be a natural thing, thing for, for me um, to believe in terms of their marriage. Well, yeah, yeah. That's, that, uh, well, we believe conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. This, I mean, it's it, you know, past that. I'm not gonna, I don't. I'm not going to speculate that. I we do not have a you know, despite what we could maybe do with the Shroud of Turin. I'm not. I don't, I'm not going to do a uh, send it to ancestry.com and, and look at, at the blood. And so I'm not going to do that. So, any other questions about New Testament? About how to approach New Testament? About the importance of the New Testament? About. Um, your desire to know every single syllable of the New Testament. Okay, I mean, and this is really, the, the reason I came up with this is, is to help you, this, this, this Bible class, because we could have taken a book of the Bible or, or something like this, or a topic, uh, you know, historical topic, systematic topic, and gone through scripture or maybe church history about that. But, but we're to be a people of the word and to live in the biblical world. And, and it's a foreign world in one sense, but yet it's the world in which we're, we, we live because it's not foreign because in, in reality, the foreign world is, is this uh, crazy suburban American culture. The real world in which we live is the world in which we've been baptized into, which means that as Paul would tell us in, at the, in, in Galatians chapter three, that, that you are Abraham's offspring. And so, so this is it's a marvelous section, by the way, the end of three and, and, and four right there, pointing out this, this unity we have and that we've been adopted as sons, but, but to see ourselves as, as a continuation of, of the people of God throughout all time, okay? And so, that, therefore, I think the New Testament is, is, is just where we live, that we are our New Testament church, that we, we know the problems, we know Christ, we confess Christ, so we live in his word. Now, obviously, as I've said, like 42 times i said once again, to understand the New Testament, you have to, you have to, you have to know the Old Testament. You, you have to. I mean, there's just no two ways around it. And the Old Testament can even be more foreign, 2022 Nate Pavilions. But read the Old Testament, read the New Testament. So, any other questions, comments? So. Yes? 
First Peter, you know, and also First Peter in that section is very helpful because because it is um, you talking about husbands and wives, etc. This is it's also quite helpful because I think it, it shows the unity of, of Pauline, and this shouldn't surprise us, by the way. Pauline and and Pauline thought and and and, and, and Petrine thought that shouldn't surprise us, considering we believe that 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 there is a unity in the church. Uh, the outside world wants to pit books against each other. Um, we, we, we read knowing that we have one Lord, one faith, one God, and Father of us all. Um, okay. So, that. The Lord bless you. Today's denunciation, by the way. Um, you know, and, and so, March 25th, you'll hear it in the sermon, um, was thought to be in the early church the day of Christ's crucifixion. So, quite often in the ancient world, they would celebrate or, or remember... Um, heroes in terms of the of a death date and a birthday on the same day, okay? And so, but in the case of Christ, they know that, that the, the important thing is that he has to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. Christmas then follows nine months later. So, so March 25th and was seen as, as the original Good Friday date, and, and for various reasons we now tie it to the, to, um, um, the first... Easter is now tied to, to the calendar, not to, to, to uh, a day of the week. So we always have Easter and Sunday. So March 25th would have been the first Good Friday. And then you have, um, but also con- thought the early church thought the Annunciation would have been also on that day. Of course, they didn't call it March 25th. That, that's a later edition in terms of calendar. But, but so, we, so from earliest days of the church, Christ's nature, two natures, true God, true man, conceived by the Holy Spirit, would have been connected in the minds of the church with his crucifixion resurrection, which, again, doesn't surprise us, right? Because it's all about one Lord. Okay, thank you. God bless you. Thank you.